Why are police photographing our license plate? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Good afternoon and welcome to the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, and my Reasonable Voices on today's show are director Bob Chapel and set designer Tom Bloom. Bob Chapel served as professor and chair of the University of Virginia Drama from 1990 to 2005, at which point Tom Bloom, our second Reasonable Voice today, took over for the next 10 years. Bob continued to teach for the drama department before retiring in 2016. Bob Chapel directed many shows for the Heritage Theater from 1987 to 2015, serving as its producing artistic director from 1995 to 2015. Bob has collaborated with Tom Bloom on many productions for UVA Drama and Heritage, and most notably, their production of Mass in Ann Arbor in 1987. Bob has directed shows not only in Charlottesville, but also all around the U.S., including New York and Los Angeles, as well as abroad in Russia and Australia. Now for Tom Bloom, I've had the great pleasure of working with both gentlemen. Tom Bloom has been working with and designing for Bob Chapel since 1975, when they collaborated on a production of Godspell for the National Music Camp at Interlochen in Michigan. They last worked together on Bob's production of Our Town for the UVA Department of Drama. Other notable collaborations include the Heritage Theater Festival productions of Sweeney Todd, Carousel, and one of the best things I've ever seen ever, but certainly at UVA, Next to Normal. Tom has served on the faculties of Occidental College, Los Angeles, and at the University of Michigan in Flint. Tom Bloom chaired the UVA Department of Drama from 2005 to 2015. Bob, good afternoon to you. How are you? I'm good, Marcello. Thanks to uh, Reconnect. It's been a while since the last time we talked or saw each other. I know, and I miss that. And Tom, same to you. I did see you at a UVA wedding, but uh, how are you, Tom? I'm doing well, Marcello. Enjoying some sunshine, finally. Okay. Um, These two gentlemen, as I said, I've had the great pleasure of working with, and more than one occasion. 
they are now collaborating yet again on Bernstein's Mass. Now, I, I guess we should say, uh, for those who may not know, after the 1963 assassination of President John F. Kennedy, Leonard Bernstein composed Mass, which embraced his eclectic blend of his amazing musical legacy. There's no, no better way of saying it, I think. Can I just clarify one thing, Marcello? Sure. It was after 1963, but it was specifically uh, when the Kennedy Center was built. Yes. And, and yeah, we're probably going to get to that. But, but uh, it was in 1971 uh, when the opening of the Kennedy Center, that, and Jackie Kennedy had asked him to compose a, a, a piece for the opening. Yes, I knew that. What I love about Bernstein's Mass is that... Um, well, first of all, as much as I love Beethoven's uh, Misa Solemnis and, you know, Bach's B minor Mass, which are masterpieces, Bernstein's Mass is, if that's what you're expecting to see and hear, you won't see that. You will see a master blend, I think, of uh, his uh, sacred music, his secular music, his, his plenty of pop and rock and, and Hebrew and, and that New York City. There's nothing like that. New York City beat, but okay. Tell us, Bob, uh, the initial composing of Mass for the Kennedy Center. Can you elaborate on what you already started? You know, Jackie Kennedy's request and, and of course, the opening of the Kennedy Center after John Kennedy's assassination. Right. Well, um, it, it was at the height of the Vietnam War, mm -hmm. and Leonard Bernstein uh, had always been interested in, in, in the crisis of, of, of faith and a cultural breakdown. And so there is a great deal of angst and um, rebellion mm. in the mass as represented by the street chorus, who are the, the principal chorus. There's a, there's a uh, we should say this, that the, that the piece is comprised of many different elements. Yes. There is the celebrant, who is the leading man, who is a um, major, major tenor. Mm hmm And we, we can talk about who we are going to use a little in, a, in a few minutes. Mm hmm And then there is a 14-member street chorus. Yes. And they are kind of, they kind of represent the flock of the priest. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and in 71, they represented the many of the, the people who were, were working against the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. um, and then there is there uh, is a small dance troupe which also serve as the acolytes. Yes. And then there is a ninety member choir that is Michael Slan's University Singers uh, from the from the students of the university. Uh -huh. um, and and then. There is a youth choir, which is around 14 youngsters who also come on and off. Uh, and uh, we, it, it, it was supposed to be a boys' choir, but we couldn't find an all-boys' choir. And mm. so it's a youth choir of both uh, young boys and girls okay. uh, from, the, from the Charlottesville area. So, and then, of course, we have a 25-piece orchestra. Yes. So there are there are many many different elements in the in the piece, and we're doing the chamber version because when when Tom and I were doing it, Tom, we actually did it in 1987 with Tom's dear brother Bradley, who was our musical director, ah. 
and uh, who uh, terribly passed away a couple of years ago. But but Brad put together an 85-piece orchestra and conducted it for this piece when wow. we did it in Ann Arbor in, at, a, at a much bigger, much larger theater than the Paramount. Uh-huh. Any case, uh, that's pretty much what I would add in regards to the beginnings of the Mass. Tom, I'm wondering, how do you design and build a set for what Bob has been describing, at yeah, the Paramount specifically? No, it, it, it's, it's really, a, you know, the, the Mass is, is something of epic proportion. Yes. And and so my challenge is is trying to put that in the paramount space mm-hmm. when you have in the upwards of a uh, hundred and thirty people on stage, um, and uh, as as you may well know, the, you know the, the paramount uh, doesn't furnish a, a great deal of of depth to the stage space. Exactly. So I had to come to terms with really. Um, where not only the 90-member university singers would be positioned, but primarily, you know, trying to feature the uh, street singers or the street chorus as well as uh, the celebrant in this production. So it, 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 you know, unmistakably helped having done this production back in 87 in Ann Arbor, since I could borrow some things, in a sense, from that production. Mm -hmm. I returned to the the video we had of, of that production to to really get a sense of movement, uh, how Bob was uh, thinking of staging the production. Yes, uh, and that production as well, you know, featured a, a wonderful dance company who fluidly moved in and out of that space. So, so all of those moments uh, captured there on that video really helped me in translating this and putting it onto the to the Paramount stage. So I'm looking forward, as everyone else is, to, to moving into that theater. This is going to be happening uh, next uh, week, Tuesday, in a very short turnaround into Thursday as we fully mount the production and get into rehearsals Thursday and Friday before our show opens. Okay, remind us of the exact dates uh, for those listening. Uh, uh, the, the, um, we have two performances. Uh, one is on Saturday night, October the 13th at 8 p.m., mm-hmm. and the following day at 2.30 matinee on Sunday, October 14th. And for those who don't know, this is at the Paramount Theater on the downtown mall in Charlottesville, Virginia. Correct. Okay. Bob, before we go to break, can you give us uh, don't feel rushed, but I'm just curious about what comparisons you as a director feel are between the 1987 production that you and Tom collaborated on and this 2018 production? First of all, in, um, in 1987, we had a producer that had a lot of money. <laughs> and, and, and so... So we were we were supported in a you know quite quite a grand way. I mean, and and to the place where where they were able to to mount a, an eighty five piece orchestra for instance, wow. and they were all paid musicians. So so it was a it was a much larger budget, and the theater, I mean, it seated around two thousand people mm. as opposed to the eleven hundred seat uh, Paramount, mm-hmm. and the stage was much larger. So in in terms of infrastructure. There was quite a bit more. 
This was Michael Slan's brainchild from Michael Slan, who's the director of the University of Singers, and he's also the conductor of the Oratorio Society in, in Charlottesville. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a wonderful musician and a wonderful conductor. And he really wanted to do this for a couple of reasons. First of all, it's Bernstein's 100th anniversary of his birth yes. this year. And second, Michael wrote his dissertation for his Ph.D., on Leonard Bernstein, uh-huh. and one, one large chapter of his thesis, of his dissertation, is on the Mass. And he can, when he was a Ph.D. student, he went to the University of Indiana for his graduate degree, and he got to conduct one of the performances when they did the Mass at, at Indiana. And, you know, Indiana is one of the great music schools yes. uh, in, in the country. Mm-hmm. And so Michael has always had a, uh, a warmth in his heart for this piece, and uh, he came to me over a year, a year ago and said, what about it? How would you like to do this? And at that point, I said, well, okay, I think so. And <laughs> we, had, we had hoped that we would have a multidisciplinary group of, of, of theater, depart- I mean, theater, music, dance, dance mm-hmm. etc., you know. Yes. But it's turned out that just because of scheduling and, and problems in that regard and their own scheduling of their programs, this has pretty much become a Department of Music uh, mm-hmm. sponsored production, and, and specifically a U Singers sponsored uh, production. And s- subsequently, it's been a little bit more difficult because we haven't had the underpinning infrastructure to put it all together. But we are persevering, Good. and yes. and uh, <laughs> we will. It will be there, and it's going to be, I think, a, a, a fine, exciting evening. And for many, many people, who they most people have have not seen this piece, nor will they probably ever again see this piece. Mm. Uh, it's just not done that often. Mm-hmm. Yes, I know that, and I I understand that uh, from its initial debut at the Kennedy Center. I mean, I get that it was perhaps too much newness for many people. But through the years, it has not been, I mean, decades, it has not been performed that much. Why is that, you think? Well, I think it, it has certainly gotten, as you've noted, mixed reviews mm-hmm. over the years. Mm-hmm. You know, even recently, you know, because of this centennial year, there have been numerous productions, mm. uh, either staged or yes. in concert version, that have been appearing. Uh, there was a concert version in New York, I know, and that didn't get a very favorable review at all. Uh, also in Los Angeles uh, this past uh, spring. And uh, summer there was a production in Austin. So it, it is resurfacing, but I would say primarily, you know, not only because it's the centennial year, because here again is an opportunity uh, that uh, many programs have seized upon uh, to to uh, present a, a piece that, that is rarely staged or yes. rarely performed at all. Yes. Uh, as Bob says, this may be the last time you get that opportunity to actually witness uh, a fully staged production of, of Mass. And, and I think that's important because it, it is a theatrical piece, mm-hmm. the way that Bernstein has integrated theater as well as dance into this musical piece. Yes. Uh, now, it's a kind of in a Wagnerian sense, <laughs> a total work of art here. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what we're seeing as it melds all of these aspects of the world of art and music and theater and design 
together and dance on stage. Absolutely. And also the other, I think, main reason why it hasn't been done uh, more often is it's just so huge. It is, yes. Uh, so many people, and I think that that just immediately people say, well, I just don't want to undertake it. So, but it is the music, some of the music is just, I mean, most, most of the music is just glorious. Yes. And, and so different, as you pointed out. So different in in, uh, in in its eclectic in all the different eclectic styles yes. that are um, inherent in the piece. So, so I think that people not only will find it entertaining and beautifully sung, mm-hmm. but very interesting as well. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that because this was during the Vietnam War, you know, there's rebellion. The rebellion is represented toward the priest mm-hmm. in the show by the street chorus. Yes. And, and, and our, our celebrant, Kevin Vortman, who has done it all over the country, and even notably with the Philadelphia Orchestra, he was the celebrant and is on the recording mm-hmm. of the Philadelphia Orchestra. He's, he's come in from Seattle, Washington, to, to be with us. He said, unfortunately, this, he said something like this to me, unfortunately, Bob, this piece doesn't matter what era we do it in it's always relevant yes <laughs> and, and there's always some angst going on and we certainly i think are in a bit of a turmoil right now yes. as our country uh is uh, 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 e- is evolving so yeah. so anyway that's basically why i think it's not done as much but that didn't stop the two of you all right we're going to take a short break our reasonable voice guests today are bob chapel and Tom Bloom, please stay with us. We'll be right back. And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Andy Film Minute. Shallow pop culture is everywhere today. Reality TV stars show up on red carpets with real actors and actresses. Viral videos play on the news. Cruelty is played for laughs. And outright selfishness is becoming the law of the land. This mindset is skewered by Bobcat Goldthwaite's wonderfully subversive satire, God Bless America. Frank Murdoch is in the thick of a midlife crisis. His daughter refuses to see him, he has lost his job, and he's been diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumor. But moments before he ends his own misery, he spots a bratty teenage reality star cussing out her parents for buying her the wrong car for her birthday. Turning his inner rage outward, Frank kills the girl for her rudeness. Feeling vindicated, Frank and his new accomplice, Roxy, a classmate of the deceased, then mount a killing spree in the name of ending cruelty and stupidity. Bold and uncompromising, God Bless America twists the knife in pop culture's back. This offbeat black comedy is a social satire which often travels uncomfortably close to the line of acceptability. But then we should expect this from Bobcat Goldthwaite, and let's face it, It is kind of fun to watch the selfish and shallow get their comeuppance. God bless America. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices Talk Radio Show with my guests, Bob Chapel and Tom Bloom, who've collaborated on a number of theatrical productions throughout the decades. We've talked about a lot, and certainly the work of Bernstein's Mass and their past collaboration of this production in 1987, and of course the upcoming production at the Paramount Theater in Charlottesville, Virginia, October 13th and 14th. 
So now, I guess we've answered this one. Why are we doing this? But you, you mentioned in the last segment, everyone's sort of jumping on board, if only for the 100th centennial of Leonard Bernstein's birth. But who are some of the principals behind the current production and cast members for that matter? Sure. Well, well, I think very, very important is the leading man, sung and played by a professional singer and actor from Seattle, Washington. He, although he had he spent many years in New York before moving to Seattle, but his name is Kevin Vortman, and he sang it all over the country. Mm. And I think he's done eight different productions of it over the past X number of years, mm-hmm. and and one, as I said, most notably with the Philadelphia Orchestra. So he arrived just last night. I've been staging the show around a person who's walking around mm-hmm. uh, done playing that. the celebrant <laughs> and and just standing there and then and, and now but we put him into the show we got through the f- whole half of the show last night and I'm going to put him into the second half of the show tonight he absolutely walked in totally off book wow. uh, perfectly totally off book mm-hmm. he knows the he knows the role inside and out and I have to say last night when he opened his mouth and began to sing, the cast just looked at him and their jaws dropped. Excellent. And he, he really is a brilliant, brilliant tenor. And I think will thrill Charlottesville audiences. And it's been worth the wait. I have to say I was not uh, terribly pleased when we knew that we might not get him until 10 days before we open. But he knows the role so well that he's he's been able to just already just walk in. We'll finish it tonight and tomorrow night, and then we'll have our first full run through already with him on the next night. So, so that's that's the principal person. And then there's the street chorus, and the street chorus consists of uh, a few UVA students, but also many people from the Charlottesville com- community who are just wonderful singers who people have mentioned. Uh, let me let me mention that Perry Medlin, who has been around, he did he has done tons of heritage shows for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was he's been very funny in a number of different shows mm-hmm. over the years. And Dan Stern, who's been in a number of shows not only for Heritage but for other theaters around the, the area. Mm-hmm. And a year ago I directed company for uh, Heritage, mm-hmm. and Natalie McReynolds, she was like the principal soloist, lyric soprano. She has an amazing voice. Mm. So she's another one of our, our local, and she teaches voice in the area. Mm-hmm. Uh, and her husband is a pastor at the, at the Methodist Church, mm-hmm. and they met when they were both voice majors at the University of Tennessee, mm. and he was a... He was a, he's a major tenor, and he's also in the street chorus. And then Karen Honeycutt, Amelia Camacho, uh, Victoria Clement, and then some students. And then we have a, a ninth grader. We have one who is an amazing performer. You mm. would never think. I thought he was a senior in high school when I said, you, you know, I thought, oh, it would be nice to have a senior in high school as part <laughs> of the street chorus. <laughs> and, and about a week in... He told me, no, no, I'm in the ninth grade. Smart guy. <laughs> he, well, he's already about six foot two. Oh, wow. And he, and he is just an amazing, his name's Grayson Taylor. Mm. And he's, he's very, very fine. 
And then Josh Stewart, who just graduated from UVA, he's our major base in the show. And and then our other students are Arjit Sancharma and Julia Guanari and Peyton Muldor, Owen Wilson and Elizabeth Muratori, who have all been doing shows or singing with you singers or what have you, and, mm. and they're all doing a, just a terrific job. So it's a very fine street chorus, and we'll... They, they really do nail these rock songs and these, these jazz numbers and these blues numbers, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And our, our acolytes are choreographed by Demita uh, Hopkins Green, mm. who I, I think she grew up in Orange, mm. but she spent a number of years dancing with Alvin Ailey in New York. And she's doing a wonderful job with the, with the choreography of the show. So it's a very, very strong group in addition to this amazing celebrant. You know, I've always admired that about you, Bob. You you cast better than anybody I know. And you always blend, in every production I've known that you've done, you bring in people from outside and you and you bring uh, go to the community and the, the community of talent is also very much involved and I see you're still doing that in your supposedly retirement. Uh, but <laughs> how about I've, a, I've always I've always been saying to people they ask me how is how's retirement and I said retirement is just great as long as I can keep working. Exactly. And you seem to be doing that. Tom, how is set construction as we go into production week? Yeah, this is always a a very busy and very anxious time. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're sort of questioning, are we going to make it? Yes. I have no doubt that we will will make it. Uh, No doubts about that. Yes. Um, I really have to to, uh, take my hat off to... uh, the technical director at the uh, of drama, uh-huh. uh, Chris Rybitsky, um, because he's just stepped up and done a fabulous job in, in planning and scheduling time for us to put this production together in the scene shop of the Department of Drama. He's also brought together a staff of prop people, painters, carpenters to put this production together. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and they're all very skilled. I'm, I'm really thankful about that. And uh, so it, it makes my life much easier at this point just to uh, hand this over to this group of professionals to get this production moved into the Paramount. And, and that in itself it, it is a huge challenge for them because on uh, next week, Thursday, we move into the theater at 8 o'clock and we need to be ready to go at 5 o'clock for Bob and his performers and Mm -hmm. the university singers to walk onto that stage and to begin uh, their first really important fully staged rehearsal. Yes. So uh, scheduling, you know, minute to minute is just crucial here in the very short window, small window we have to put this production into the theater. So... That, that always sort of raises uh, some anxiety and anxiousness as well, but we've been through this before. Exactly. And, uh, <laughs> a few a lot times. Yes. You know, but it is kind of like a tour, and, and what that is, you go yeah, into a different yeah. space, and you have to adapt to all the things we've been talking about already. It's it's, it's a different space, and yet, and, and especially when you've done 
a production in 1987, you can't help but have those ideas in your head, some of which you can keep, but some you have to discard. And that's theater. How about that? That's right. What do you think? That's right. You know, I would also like to, to just, you know, give some recognition to Robert Benjamin at the Paramount. Robert is their head of technical operations, and he has just been wonderful to work with. Mm. He's doing this all the time because they're bringing shows in repeatedly, day and night. Yes. So he's really a pro, and it's been great to have him on board really to to help manage just uh, putting this into his space. So good guy. Good guy, exactly. Bob, I was so impressed with how well you described the cast and introduced them to us. But now I'd like to return to those, you know, supportive principles in the background, those we sometimes never hear about, but no show can be done without them. I know, for instance, um, Jody Kibasa, who is the Associate Provost for the Arts at the University of Virginia, and of course, very heavily involved, obviously, with the Virginia Film Festival, uh, is a major sponsor of your upcoming production of Mass. And also, uh, other sponsors, I think, are the UVA Parents Fund, the UVA Arts Fund for Artistic Excellence, and Carrie and Lori Turner. Are, am I missing any, or have we mentioned all? Would you you want to add any names to that? We'd like to all be grateful to such angels. Uh, oh, yes, I, I, I should say this. Uh, that Melissa Charles and Nancy Paulson at DMR, ah. uh, they have put together the children's chorus, the, the youth choir, mm-hmm. and they've really been a great help from the first time we approached them. And they and Melissa really runs a good, wonderful operation over there for the young people who are, you know, aspiring to be Broadway stars someday. And so, so yes, I definitely want to thank them. I want to thank Bruce Young. Bruce Young is um, another person from the town who played our celebrant, who walked around. Oh, yes. He's done a yeoman's job, and it really helped us in terms of staging the show until Kevin got here. So, yes, and I know I'm forgetting. I know I'm probably forgetting. I apologize to those of you I'm not mentioning, just because there are an awful lot Mm -hmm. that that, um, that have to be mentioned, that should be mentioned. Well, it takes a village, as they say. It does. This takes a major city. Yes. (laughs) I don't expect you to know the answer to this because you're busy creating the art. But tickets need to be sold. You have, uh, can you direct us to a website where people can find out how to buy tickets? Well, I, I think they just need to contact the arts box office at the, at the university. Okay. That is the, and I don't know what that website is, but I do believe this, that they're selling the tickets all this week are going to be sold at the arts <laughs> box office, which is at, in the Culper Theater. Uh, and they certainly, if they contact the arts box office, they will be told, uh, exactly what to do in that regard. Okay. All right. Any parting words? What What do you want us to take from, uh, not just this interview, but what do you want us to take from the production? Uh, as, you, as we've already said several times, Bernstein's Mass hasn't been done as often. It is a, seeing a resurrection, if you will, because of this anniversary of his birth. But what should we, especially if this is the only production people will see, uh, in their lifetime, at least for a while, what is it you want to happen to the audience? 
Well, let me, I would just say thematically, you know, it, 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 and Bob has mentioned this earlier, it's, it's a, a, a challenge to belief, uh, to, to faith. Yes. And it, and it really asks all of us, really, mm. what, what do you believe in? What, what holds us together? Mm. Uh, and, and that thematically is, is at the core of this work. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, in this sort of age of doubt, and it raises those questions as well, do we identify ourselves uh, as as doubters, and, and in turn, you know, into what do we put our faith? So that's kind of a an undercurrent of the theme of it, and then it's beautifully and extravagantly expressed musically as well as theatrically. Mm. Okay, and you, Bob? Well, I, I think that uh, just once again being mesmerized by Leonard Bernstein's genius. Mm. Uh, and the, for, for him to have put together this piece, it is a massive, no pun intended, uh, it is a massive piece uh, of so many different styles, and it, it just shows what an what a, what a eclectic genius he was as a composer. Yes. Um, because, you know, I mean, he composed for Broadway, a number of major Broadway shows, yes. and, and then, of course, he, he did classical music and and um, and and so I think that just to to be able to sit there and appreciate this composer's genius as the as the show evolves it's an hour and it's an hour and 50 minutes uh, without an intermission so it, it just, but it does go by very quickly mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. um, and it's just one very different style piece of music after another yes uh, that 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 tells this story yes uh and so i hope that people do walk out saying uh, uh, he was really something else mm-hmm. um so i hope also and i expect also too that people will respond to the fact that uh, bernstein used mass to make us uh, recognize and accept our own foibles and to be open to uh, different points of view the lyrics are as much a marriage of the art as anything else, but they it's the story makes you look inside. Is that fair, Bob? It's very fair. I think that's that's absolutely right. And and you know it's it it, it and it's about a, a person, the celebrant, who becomes very self-involved and self-important as the piece goes on, only to realize that this is going to cause calamity toward the end. Yes. And I think it's a great lesson for everyone to, that hubris must be curtailed yes. if possible. Like all great drama, mm-hmm. uh, way back to the Greeks. That yes. was what it was all about. Exactly. And so, yes, I, I think that, uh, I, and I think it's very relevant in terms of what is going on in our world today and in our country. Yes. And done in a way that is so magnificently artistic and moving and empathetic and challenging that uh, I don't think we'll forget it. I'm looking forward to it. Well, good. Thanks. Okay. Thank you both. We've been talking to and listening to Bob Chapel, the director of Bernstein's Mass at the Paramount Theater, October 13th and 14th, and also talking to our other reasonable voice, his collaborator for many productions, Tom Bloom, who has designed the set to great benefit to the production and all involved. Thank you, gentlemen, for being on the show today. We wish you all the best. Thanks, Marcello. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Bye now.
And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. If you run, the beast catches. If you stay, the beast eats. In the city of God, the young learn fast that survival requires both brutality and wit. In the favela, the notorious shanty slum only yards from the tourist beaches of Rio de Janeiro, death comes easily and pointlessly. Societal control is up to the current criminal gang leaders in power, barely beyond childhood themselves. The film is based on an essentially autobiographical novel by Paolo Linz. Rocket, the narrator and moral center of the film, takes a picture of a gang leader that finds its way into a real newspaper. Rocket hides, terrified he will be killed. Instead, the psychopathic gang leader, a child himself, actually enjoys the notoriety. There is a scene in City of God that is remarkably haunting. An older gang member instructs a young recruit to shoot a toddler to prove himself worthy. Faced with a quaking gun, the toddler understands the danger and shrieks in real fear. A child in diapers barely old enough to walk cannot act. This is brutal reality captured on film, inexcusable perhaps, but a sound metaphor for these lives so vividly depicted. Indie Film Minute, not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us in becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Missing you and us, too. There was little reason for my grandmama to leave her huge farm to go into town a few miles away for groceries, gasoline, farm equipment, overalls, and newspapers. Now I only go back for the funerals and do hear on the breeze what I've missed. I'm not into romanticizing the past. Believing things, for the most part, are always improving. Until G.W. and Cheney, of course. As long as what's new doesn't obliterate what's been with what's coming round the bend. I don't miss Mayberry or my slumlord friends on Shelter Island, but I do miss New York City neighborhoods, walking city blocks, and being constantly in rehearsals for something. I miss Gypsy and Heinrich, best and worst watchdogs, respectively. Don't miss Dad and Mom so much as it still feels like they're here. But I do miss people who trim their trees back from power lines, so when the winds come, we keep our A.C. I miss hailing a yellow cab for Carol Channing, strolling Midtown with Colin Dewhurst and chatting with James Whitmore about the next voice you hear. He said I was too young to have seen it, but while other boys my age were outside playing ball, I was watching old movies on TV. Mr. Whitmore was so proud of the fact that he had made the movie with Nancy Reagan before she met Ronnie. But I told him I would never forget what it felt like when God spoke to him on his radio. I miss that. I miss taking time to tune up with morning prayers and reel-to-reel -reel Gregorian chant. I don't miss fast cars and curvy roads, for that's still how I relax. I miss Jimmy Stewart and Harvey, Yul Brenner and the American Original Six, Gregory Peck, whom Mom told, my son is an actor too. 
I never miss Florida, except when I think of hurricanes 250 miles offshore pinning me against the lifeguard chair, streaking back my hair with beach sand, my lips rimmed like a margarita glass, and the ocean some distance away lapping occasionally at my toes, as a seagull above makes no headway because of headwinds. I miss the silence that can only be heard without the din, and I miss people who understand the wisdom in that. I miss Marvine's white boots as much as our drama classes. I miss my voice lessons with Wayne and Ernie, and both the Peabody and Baltimore Opera in the days of George Woodhead and Bill Januzzi, the only man who smoked more cigarettes than my 61-year-old brother, just diagnosed with the lungs of an 80-year-old. I miss him already. For me, missing is more happy memories than sad longing. But I do miss not seeing my best friend Lance Thomas Viney. However, I don't miss the Silver Diner, his favorite dining choice. I do miss my annual trips to Europe, but it was a wonderful career that suspended them, so we make our choices. I miss dates on letters even to find telephone numbers on bills, and I miss sleeping more than five hours a night. But most of all, I miss who we were in the sixties. I miss Abraham, Martin, and John, and Bobby, too. Join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.